Hi, I'm Graham Mack. Welcome to the Pod 20, the countdown of the most popular podcasts right now, according to downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. You'll also be hearing from some of the podcasters that made the chart this week, like my special guest, Lee Salisbury, who's the host of Soap from the Box. He's a TV director and producer who's worked on all of your favourite soaps, including Coronation Street and EastEnders, which means he's lived all over the country. Where are you originally from, Lee? I grew up in Uckfield in Sussex, uh, yeah. down on the south coast. So I was there, yeah, until I went to university in London. And what were you watching on TV as a kid? Well, I used to love EastEnders, so yeah. I did love EastEnders. I mean, as a kid, I used to love Grange Hill, and my first work experience ever was on Grange Hill. <laughs> So that what was amazing. We, what did you do as work experience on Grange Hill? I kind of just run around with a with a uh, walkie-talkie and help them kind of shuffle casts around and stuff. So, I mean, and kind of got cups of tea, as you do as a runner and stuff. So it was a great insight to watching people on set and seeing what happened. So I was kind of able to go, oh, I think I might fancy that or that, that job, you know. I, well, I thought directing, I thought go to the top. <laughs> so how did you get that job originally then from a standing star all of a sudden you're in television it was through a friend's sister who was working there as a third ad so she kind of got me along and that was the start really unpaid but you know it was kind of building the building the experience i then went on the pop zone the ozone uh, from there there was a job came up as a runner on the bbc holiday program i went for it and got it wow. so that was my first paid job just as i left university that was so eventually you are, you know, you're watching EastEnders. Eventually, there you are. You're responsible for it as the director. That must have been I a know, bit of a... I know. I know. And that was very it, bizarre. That must have had to pinch yourself, I would have thought, as you're standing there. How, how stressful yeah. was that? Well, I mean, I started Emmerdale first. So what happened okay. is I was working in Factual and I applied for a trainee on Emmerdale, a trainee director. You had to be a director in telly right. or theatre, but not in drama. So I kind of shadowed the director, did one episode of A Block of Four, and then they decided to bring me back. So I did that for years and then went to EastEnders. I basically won a soap award for Emmerdale for this big frozen lake stunt. And uh, I'd written to EastEnders loads. And on that night, they were like, come to us, come to us. So I did. And my first block was uh, Barbara Windsor's leaving. So my first night on EastEnders, a night shoot, was the whole cast. Doc Cotton, Pam, uh, Pat Butcher, Ricky, Bianca, Phil. <laughs> Proper uh, showbiz. Yeah. yeah, so it was very... But you know what? When I go to work, you do kind of just get into work mode. Afterwards, I was like, my God, what just happened? <laughs> but I kind of just dealt with it then, as you do. But uh, very bizarre, the first night and walking onto Albert Square because it's so small. That's what I realised about telly. That's what you realise. Everything's so much smaller. So, But yeah, it was... I mean, it was just amazing, actually, to be there. I always say it kind of ruins the illusion, yeah. you know, when you work on something you love. Because you're like, oh, no, the magic's gone. But it was, I mean, you know, my first episode with the Duff Duffs and the music. Yeah, incredible, incredible. <laughs> I bet it was. More from Lee Salisbury soon. And we'll find out where Soap from the Box is on this week's chart. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in the UK, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Into the countdown now, and at number 20, The Breakfast Club from iHeartRadio. It's the world's most dangerous morning show with DJ Envy, Angela Yee, and Chalamain, the God. 19. The Jordan B. Peterson Podcast. Intellectual phenomenon Dr. Jordan Peterson and his daughter Michaela will change the way you think. 
18, On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. Jay's latest guest is Jessica Alba. Number 17, Behind the Bastards. The Worst Humans in History. The latest episode is called Let's Talk About Thalidomide. And they talk about the link between Nazi Germany and the development of thalidomide. 16. Dr. Death, Miracle Man Paolo is a smart and handsome surgeon, renowned for his ability to perform surgeries that transform his patients' lives. When the television producer Benita covers him for a story, he'll transform her life too, but not in the way she expects. 15. British Scandal In a country obsessed with gossip, the great and the good fear one thing more than any other. Scandal. The latest episode is about a Halloween party at an apartment complex in Redmond, Washington. Themed rooms and costumed partygoers. By the end of the party, one of the hosts is dead. Number 14. The Hardy Report. Edward Hardy brings you political news current affairs and interviews with campaigners and politicians from across the political spectrum in the United States and the United Kingdom. Ed, Sleepy Joe Biden has made a total pig's ear of the situation in Afghanistan. He's a hopeless president. Could this help Donald Trump, who wants to run again? Is Trumpism still a thing? You can't get rid of Trumpism now, in a way, that it exists. It might morph, it might change, it might take a different name over time, but the fundamental basis of, of what got him elected is now in America's political bloodstream. And you can't really remove it from that. Okay, you might be able to nullify it, you might be able to reduce its influence over time and, and through a lot of work to tackle uh, the issues that existed there. But I don't think you will ever truly remove what he you know, stood for in a way, what his agenda, what his approach was, because I think people already take it. You look at um, the the Georgia congresswoman, who, who I won't mention by name, but who's been stirring up a lot of controversy with her conspiracy theories and so on that, that she spreads and really offensive views that, that most Americans agree was offensive. People like that have sprung up now and they will fill the void that, that he wants. Um, Is she the one of- that talked about the Jewish space lasers or something? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's, um, it's just some of them were just absolutely absurd. I mean, ignoring how deeply anti-Semitic or offensive they might have been, they were just purely bonkers comments that, you know, people were used to mock and say, oh, these are the far corners of Facebook where people rant about wearing tinfoil hats, rant about how the earth is flat. And uh, now, sure enough, uh, one of them has made their way into Congress, so... Um, but that's that's what Trumpism is. In a way, it is people who uh, you know adopt that. You you look at that; they live in their little bubble. And again, it comes back to the problems that exist in in America's political system, because it was such a staunchly red district. All they needed to do was win you know, fifty point one percent of the Republican primary vote, and then they were going to win the district. And so. I don't even think that there there was a Democrat running against her in the end. And this is sort of the problem that exists. And that's why Trumpism can't go away, because there will always be enough seats in America where someone can take that approach and get into office. 
Who was that guest you had on the Hardy Report podcast that said that the winner, that Trumpism was a winner of this election or something? He put a spin on, you were trying to say, you were trying to say to him something about, you know, Biden's won the election or something. And he said, no, I think, I think Trumpism, what, what was the exact phrasing and who was he? Yeah, so that was uh, Joe Walsh, who used to be a Republican congressman, actually. He used to be in Congress as a Republican and a fairly right-wing Republican at that. And he actually tried to run against Donald Trump in the 2020 primary. Then Donald Trump rigged the primary to basically make sure that loads were cancelled so no one could ever actually beat him. It it was an absurd system. But he um, came on to talk about, essentially, the issues that exist with the Republican Party because I asked him about, do you think now Trump's gone? Will you be able to rejoin the Republican Party? Will it return to this conservative political party that you might disagree with, but was part of politics and and had a place in politics? And he said, no, Trumpism is now the Republican Party. And he could never rejoin that, even though he was once, you know, on the right of that party. He now doesn't have a home there because what has happened is this uh, ideology of Trumpism and there'll be plenty of books written over the next few years. I'm sure I'll be, I'll be shocked if some don't come out this year. You may have write one. <laughs> what? Well, well, uh, you know, if I had the time, I'm, I, I'm sure I would. But, um, as, you know, if a publisher wants to come along, I'll happily write about my experience of, of covering the, the uh, whole political system over the last few years. But it's, it's definitely, I think, as depressing as it might be for people listening, it's so hard to stamp out an ideology in America now because, as I say, how people just retreat to their bubbles. My podcast, I could be critical of the uh, you know Trumpism wing of the party. They're not listening. They're not listening to my podcast. Um, you know, in in the same way as you know, they might think someone who does a podcast in in the sort of Trumpism side of things might be equally sort of disappointed that people on the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wing of the Democratic Party don't listen to them. Problem is people are just in their bubbles. And and I wish that was something that, that we could address. I don't think it will be. I think that's something that's going to exist now. Social media, really, until you address that exist on social media, you can't address the issues that exist in uh, places like America's political system. So how and should they countries- address them? You, I mean, you sound, sounds like you're talking about censorship here, which is another hot button in the US, freedom of speech. See, I don't think it comes down to censorship at all. I think it comes down to the fact that social media, its whole profit model is based around keeping you on the site as long as possible. How do they do that? They throw up more stuff that you agree with. They throw up stuff that slowly pushes you down the rabbit hole. I mean, if you go on YouTube and you start on a fairly controversial topic, about five or six videos down, you'll end up in this absolutely weird world of insane conspiracy theories about how, you know, the sort of ones about space lasers starting wildfires (laughs) and stuff. And it's so easy to do. And sites are fixing those systems, but what they need to do, they don't have to do this censorship. What they have to do is stop treating sort of the, the uh, uh, what they serve up so cavalier uh, in, in such a cavalier manner. And what they actually have to do is serve up what's actually happening in the world. Different opinions challenge what someone's putting out there. And I don't mean, for example, if you're a Democrat, only show Republican content. Mix it up. 
show people who are on all the different spectrums out there of a position um, rather than just simply one I thing. Or I don't know if you could regulate for that, though. I really don't know. That would be a tough, a tough ask because they're not going to self-regulate because, as you say, they want you to be on there as long yeah. as possible. Well, I, this, is, this is the problem is at what extent do you have governments intervene? And, and I talked to, uh, as I say, it comes back to that interview I did with Tristan Harris where we talked about how they address these. And really it has to be an international effort because otherwise what will happen is if uh, the UK tries to put restrictions on how Twitter behaves, Twitter will go to Ireland, which I think is actually where um, a lot of social media companies base headquarters, for example, they'll base them there. If Ireland did something, they'll move somewhere else and they'll just keep moving because they can. There's nothing that stops them doing that. If you try and regulate what um, Facebook is doing in America, again, they'll just move to another uh, country that won't regulate them. Yeah. It's the Hardy Report with Edward Hardy, number 14 this week on the Pod 20. 13. Something was wrong. The Iris award-winning crime docu-series about the discovery, trauma and recovery from shocking life discoveries and abusive relationships. Number 12. Monday Morning Podcast. Bill Burr rants about Florida, skateboarding and grandma lawsuits. Number 11. Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. 10. No Such Thing as a Fish, the award-winning podcast from the writers of the BBC show QI. This week, Dan James, Anna and Andy discuss melodious bridges, murderous dragonflies, made-up politicians and magnificent wigs. 9. Revisionist History, Malcolm Gladwell's journey through the overlooked and misunderstood. At number 8. Soap from the Box. Your favourite stars from EastEnders, Coronation Street, Emmerdale and Hollyoaks chat with a bloke who's directed these shows, Lee Salisbury. Lee, you've also done a lot of factual TV. In 2019, you did Britney Spears' Breaking Point. I did. That was brilliant, that documentary. That taught me... I mean, I love TV. Suddenly you're doing this and then suddenly I'm making a documentary about Britney Spears in, in LA. Um, and that was... We made that before all these huge ones have come out. And actually, yeah. it's a shame because we didn't, uh, we didn't get the publicity for it. But yeah, it, it's incredible finding, it's incredible to tell a story. I, I went in and said I really wanted to make it about mental health and I didn't want it to be a, a big expose because it wasn't really an expose to do. It was just so, it, but learning some of the stuff was just incredible. You know, I just wanted to, when you watch the clips of her being surrounded by a hundred paps, you know, outside that ambulance when she's taken away, you're like, thank God the world's changed for the good for that because how can anyone survive like that and i always say to young people coming into the industry watch things like that because that is that's fame you know yeah. and that it shouldn't be branded as this glamorous amazing thing because really the downside is there's a lot of downsides so be ready so to be so famous get getting to well getting so deep into the story of britney spears before we all kind of realized what was really going on there Yes. What are your feelings when you when you hear the news about what's going on recently? Are you? Uh, I'm pleased for her. I just think I yeah. think it's something we, none of us can understand. We never got close enough. Obviously, I think you can't put yourself in that position. It's very hard to ever put yourself in someone else's position. So, we, you know, we learned stuff along the way. 
about how she was. I worked in telly, so you kind of see it. But I just think, um, again, I wouldn't really be able to have it because I go, I don't know her dad. I don't know her, really. Yeah. And, you know, it's that two-way thing as we were doing it. You could, as long as it was balanced, because she courted the press and then complained about the press. So you have to to see there's always different sides. And it's hard to, I think it's very, we, we left that as a kind of, this is kind of the facts we know and just read into it what you want in a way. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. But I would say just, I mean, anyone like her, I just think she never expected that level of fame and who would. So I just think, thank God the world's changed in a way that she's able to do it. Has it? I don't know. You know, it's such a weird world, this world with social media. Paps have gone, but social media has come. So yeah. what was better? You know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, Soap from the Box from Lee Salisbury is at number eight this week on the Pod 20. At number seven, Smartless, Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett connect and unite people from all walks of life to learn about shared experiences through thoughtful dialogue and organic hilarity. Number six, You're Dead to Me, the history podcast for people who don't like history. This week, Greg Jenner and his guests uncover the gruesome truths behind some of our most loved fairy tales. Number five, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. His latest guest is the actor and comedian Joel McHale. At four, the overlap with Gary Neville. The biggest names in football, politics, business and world sports share their real stories. Gary's latest guest is Roy Keane. Number three, Stuff You Should Know If you've ever wanted to know about Champagne, Satanism, the Stonewall Uprising, Chaos Theory, LSD, El Nino, True Crime and Rosa Parks, then look no further. Josh and Chuck have you covered. Number two, Crime Junkie. If you can never get enough true crime, congratulations, you've found your people. And straight in at number one. The dropout from ABC News. Please begin. This is the testimony of Elizabeth Holmes going on the record in San Francisco, California at 9 o'clock. This is the story of the rise and fall of the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. Did it concern you that a number of tests weren't working on Theranos' devices? I, I know that we made mistakes. Not so long ago, Stanford dropout turned CEO Elizabeth Holmes was a rising star in Silicon Valley. These tests detect dozens of medical conditions based on only a few drops of blood drawn from a finger prick. She was on Charlie Rose. She did CBS this morning. At 19 years old, Elizabeth Holmes dropped out of Stanford. She did CNN. I mean, on and on and on. No one has ever seen this. You're the first one. Wow. Her company, Theranos, was poised to change healthcare forever. If she had made this work, she would have been the next Steve Jobs. But today, Elizabeth Holmes is under criminal indictment. She pleaded not guilty, but she's facing up to 20 years in prison if convicted. So how did it happen? It's a story of greed, and it's a story of incredible deception. In The Dropout, we'll look at how Holmes initially won over everybody, from investors to politicians to the media. And we'll tell you how it all came crashing down through exclusive interviews and never-before-heard depositions. To your knowledge, did Ms. Holmes know at the time she made those statements that Theranos could not do all those tests? Yeah, she knew. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. 
I've been covering business for more than a decade, from the housing collapse to the fall of Bear Stearns to the Bernie Madoff scandal. But no story comes close to the mystery and intrigue of Elizabeth Holmes. You've got this really smart female CEO who's going to do a wonderful thing for the world. It is a great story. We all want that to work. The dropout from ABC News, number one this week on the Pod 20. And that's it for episode 71. Thanks to this week's guest pod stars, Lee Salisbury, Edward Hardy, and Rebecca Jarvis. Next week, my special guest is Griff, the syndicated radio presenter and host of the podcast Two Trillion Thoughts. Griff, you came from humble beginnings. Man, my upbringing, I like to say now, I I try not to villainize my parents now, you know, as a parent, but uh, I'll just say my, my dad had a bad 80s and 90s. <laughs> um... Uh, my dad's been married five times. My mom's been married nine times. I went to 21 different schools growing up. Um, uh, it just, it taught me so much because I understood very early that school was a microcosm of the world. You know, you had your cliques, you had the most popular guy, the most popular girl. Normally they didn't like each other. It was always a bully. Every school I went to, I just befriended the bullies. So the bully would be like, man, I hit you in your face. I'd be like, little boy, my daddy hit me in my face and he's in the Marines. And the bully go, oh, really? So uh, I, I use comedy and vocabulary and my wit to uh, survive growing up, you know, and it it, it was a real my father was very middle class and he lived in the Bay Area, California, in the San Francisco, Oakland area, about six hours north of Los Angeles. And then my mom, uh, we weren't so middle class, you know, but you would for some reason. And it took me a long time to associate. To disassociate money with how I felt about my dad, because my dad had so much money and he had cars. But he was such a jerk. He was such a a mean man, you know. So it it made me uh, straddle the fence on. I'd rather be poor and happy than you know uh, wealthy and mean and beat violent. And you know what I'm saying. So uh, I joined the army at 17. I copied Morse code. Uh, during Desert Storm, um, I had a top secret security clearance when I was 18 years old. That's what a lot of people don't know about me. Graham, I'm smart. I'm hella smart. You got an amazing memory. That was something that got you through when you were a kid, wasn't it? Man, I'm talking about at every school and every class, my memory saved my life. I'm, I'm, it, it's tough having a memory like mine because some stuff you shouldn't remember. Like some stuff you need to let go and, and never remember again. But you know, I got this, this challenging memory, man. It just, I remember everything. And then you got to remember stuff and then forgive people and then remember that you forgave them. It's a lot. <laughs> but why did you join the military then? Was Did it seem like the only hope for the you? Army, I joined the army to spite my father because he was in the Marines. 
So my whole life, I had heard Semper Fidelis, a Marine man is a good man. Hoorah, go Marines, Bulldogs. So I came home and I was like, Army. And my father, without thinking twice, said, oh, you joined the Army? The Army means ain't ready for the Marines yet. I said, man, I worked all that up just to have him. I told my mama, who's been married nine times, I told my mama about four years ago, I got the courage to tell her. I said, mom, all the dudes you met and married is the sorriest dudes I ever met in my whole life. And my mother very quickly said, look how many examples I gave you on how not to be. Wow. And is that true? I mean, is that what you did? You did. You, do you find yourself going, what would he have done and do the opposite? Well, I think. You know, I, I, I had to learn very early that I was out here by myself, probably about nine, 10 years old. I realized adults weren't helping me and my family. And I was even working on trying to be emancipated in America. If you're a kid and maybe your, your family is on drugs, your parents, you can go to court and emancipate yourself, like leave your family and go get a job. And the court says, okay, if you, you know, so I was trying to go through the process of that. And I, I, you know, all the moving around and different schools and I always just wanted stability. You know, I joined the military and found out that I ain't a military person. Like I, I want to be a comedian. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to, I don't, I'm the wrong person to tell what to do. Like you, I'm going to have 90 questions. And if, if, if by around question number four, I feel like you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not listening to you no more. So (laughs) Graham, you know how it is. If you ask somebody, you say, Hey, Excuse me, I'm looking for Buckingham Palace. Which way is it? And the person go, Buckingham Palace. Buckingham. Um, Buckingham. Buckingham. I think, in my mind, I'm already thinking about who I'm going to ask next. Like, yeah. I already know. You don't know what you're talking about. So, just learned a lot of social skills, man, that ended up later helping me later in life. But uh, my upbringing wasn't so great. I'm I'm so thankful to have made it to my latter years without being arrested, without going to jail, without selling drugs, without joining a gang. You know what I'm saying? I'm just real thankful. I just want to be happy, man. I saw so much anger and violence, and I just knew in my soul that it was a, a polar opposite. Yeah. And and you've helped kids, haven't you, who haven't had strong role models, who grew up with in similar circumstances, to give them strong role models. I I believe that's my passion on the planet. I believe that's what's going to get me a Nobel Peace Prize uh, through my foundation, the Process Success Foundation. I'm just teaching kids processes. Like if I can take them on a field trip and show them the process of a tire being made at the Michelin tire uh plant right and they see that it's hot rubber then it goes into a mold then they put the then i get if they can see the process of a tire then i could teach them the process of forgiveness then i could teach them the process of, of giving somebody a chance the process of loving yourself you know that must be really fulfilling griff yeah 
Oh man, that's this what I do it for, man. I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm from Cali, but I don't know how to act Hollywood. I'm just, I'm just me. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? If I come to London and show my wife London, I'm the first, the first person I'm calling is you, asking you where you at, what side of the city you live on, when can we get together, uh, you know. But I, I know that I'm an ambassador for African Americans all around the world. I know that I'm a ambassador for fathers and, and I'm a leader. You know, when you're a leader, you live different. I don't get to do everything everybody else gets to do. And and now I see why. I didn't understand, you know, when I was growing up, but but now it, it all paid off. Still not gonna be able to be president because of stuff I said, but that ain't the point. <laughs> More from Griff next week. In the meantime, you can watch extended video chats with my guests on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will the dropout stay at number one? Will your favourite podcast be at the top of the chart? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.